This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. We've been talking about evangelism. I'm just throwing things around the studio at the moment, so don't mind me. But I am going to start with a shocking statistic. How's that? Was that? A, was that? Are you guys okay. in? I'm hooked. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Because stats is exactly what everybody everywhere loves. Yes. Um, mathematics. Um, <laughs> what an idol for so many people. I know a pastor who really has a problem with <laughs> yeah, math. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I've met. I've met them. <laughs> but here's the stat. For, I just have to laugh because Jonathan completely is just ignoring everything that is going on in the studio. He's like he's hyper focused. I'm like he's ready to go. He's like all of this. You, you lost him. At, you lost him at stats. Right? Yeah. That's exactly right. He's like you know, these stupid kids. You know, being with Josh and Russ in in studio, it used to be that Josh had to be the straight man because he had to have the question. Now. Russ is asking the question, and Josh is yeah. back with a vengeance. It's, it's all switch. Years, years. Uh, holding uh, nothing back now. <laughs> so here is the shocking statistic. 47% of practicing Christian millennials, and the great news is I do not have to take responsibility for this because I am not a millennial. Me neither. But 47% of practicing Christian millennials agree that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. Now, what I find fascinating is this. 47%, almost half, think it's wrong to share one's faith with somebody. But 96% of them agree that part of their faith means being a witness about Jesus. 94 agree that the best thing that could ever happen to someone is for them to come to know Christ. 86% agree that when someone raises questions about faith, they know how to respond. 73% agree that they are gifted at sharing their faith with other people. You have, a lot of, you have a lot of explaining to do, Vinny. Yes, Vinny. <laughs> As the lone millennial in the room, I'll gladly speak on behalf of my generation. You are responsible for these statistics. Vinny, what is wrong with you? to point out that he just escaped the millennial That's right. uh, tag by a year. No, three years. <laughs> three, years. three years. That's right. Okay, Vinny, explain what's going on here for us, yeah, if, I, you, if you can. I'll do my best. Um I'm probably the oldest millennial. I'm, I'm an 82 or so, right on the edge, right on the cusp. But I think I think part of this is the what I'll call the trivial pursuit approach to life. If you remember that old board game, you answered trivia questions, and then they, each category had a different color piece, and the goal of the game was to fill up your empty pie with all the different colored pieces. 
And I think for millennials, we're really good at compartmentalizing our life, like the trivial pursuit piece. And so faith becomes an important piece that fits into my life in a specific category. What I don't want to do is take my piece and try to insert it into someone else's trivial pursuit life or into someone else's life. And so there's this inconsistency in which I recognize the importance of faith, but I don't think that I would describe faith as the faith, capital T, like the solution. And so I think it's it's a couple of those things. It's it's not wanting to disrupt someone else's life with my faith and compartmentalizing that in my own life. And then too, I think it's it's as revealed in the, in the stats, it's an inconsistency as to the importance and vitalness of the gospel. I think even as if you've been listening to the shows, it is the man-centered approach. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think part of the reason why millennials answer the question like this is because they grew up in the atmosphere of postmodernism. Totally. Post postmodernism teaches that there is no overarching uh, meta narrative. There is no cohesive truth that ties everything together. And so if I were to impose my faith upon you, I am going against postmodernism because I am saying that there is a meta narrative. Yep. So this is the result more of postmodernism than it than it is an age group or a particular church. It's it's the spirit of the age. Yep. I can go back to the New Testament and say this is nothing new. You know, the, you know Paul, Paul is actually making an apology for trying to be persuasive. Uh, first of all, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse uh, 11, therefore knowing the fear of God or the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. You know, he, he says, for what we are is known to God and I hope is known also to your conscience. So he He's using method to persuade somebody. He's, he's engaging with them. But the apology is in this. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. He's, there's a sense in which he knows that he's treading on an area of somebody's life where you are actually bringing something that they are actually not necessarily in, interested in. So he's he understands that they were postmodern in the first century. Yeah. And then... In in the end, he t- tells us, you know, that through us, you know, uh, we have this ministry of reconciliation, which is our responsibility is to go and try to reconcile others to God. Yeah. I um, just got done reading a book a couple months ago called Faithfully Different. It's a book by Natalie Crane. And the working premise of the book is that we now live in a society that is a biblical worldview is radically the minority within society. So she's saying that there might be at least remnants of a Christian worldview that permeates society, but the, the amount of people that actually believe in a biblical worldview is less than 10%. And so we live, what she would say, in, a, in an increasingly secular mindset. And she talks about these secular pressures because of the, the, the framework of a secular mindset, and she frames it four ways. She said, feelings are the ultimate guide, happiness is the ultimate goal, judging is the ultimate sin, and God is the ultimate guess. So that's the framework. And then, so if feelings are the ultimate guide evangelism is seen as arrogant yeah talk through that you know what's just take taking a little bit of a like a presuppositional approach isn't it interesting that postmodernism says that there is no 
there's no meta narrative. There, there is no ultimate right or wrong. But then they're going to turn around and borrow from the Christian worldview and say, oh, if you judge me, that's wrong. And I think this is actually an important thing. When we're engaging with millennials on this, this question, we do need to, to say, by what standard? You're, you're talking about that it's wrong for me to share my faith. By what standard are you saying that that's wrong? And I think that t- tying back in, I know I didn't answer your question, mm-hmm. but tying back into the feelings, mm-hmm. that, that very much clouds one's approach to this whole, whole topic. So we have feelings as Christians. Mm-hmm. We acknowledge them. They, they're part of who we are. We embrace them as a good gift from God. But feelings are not ultimate. Yeah, they're not authoritative. Truth uh, is. Yeah, yes. And so as, well, as yeah, an evangelist yeah. of the Christian faith, we are confronting a core belief of a secular mindset. Yeah. And yeah. we're saying, no, no, your feelings aren't the ultimate. And neither are mine. Yes. Yeah. But there is truth. Yeah. yeah, they don't gauge, they don't always correspond to reality. For a quick example, if you were in a dark alley in maybe a West Coast or East Coast city at night and you approached a group of men that looked nefarious, uh, what feeling might you have? You might be scared, real or unreal. Probably real, right? That could be a real dangerous situation. But if we took you and put you in a movie theater and the lights are down and you're watching this intense, let's say, horror film and you see a scene of great intensity, is is there any real danger? No, but you're having the same feeling. You might feel fear at the yeah. same. So the, the feeling while you're experiencing it doesn't always correspond to reality. It's the problem with feelings becoming authoritative in your life. Yeah. What about if happiness is the ultimate goal and then evangelism is going to be an imposition? How do we work through that? I think this is where Piper's helpful because in one, in one sense, the glory, since the glory of God is our greatest happiness, we're not divorcing happiness from evangelism or, or from believing the gospel. The problem is, is that their worldly happiness, secular happiness, happiness apart from Christ is actually misery. I actually think it's a helpful Look, uh, that's how Paul pre- preaches uh, in Acts 14. He says, look, God gave you these reins. He gave you uh, food for the gladness of your hearts. So he actually appeals to happiness as a witness to the truth of God. I think the problem is is that we just need to make our terms clear. We're not talking about temporal happiness. We're talking about eternal happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in some ways, we're talking about even joy. Yeah, yep. that's where I was just going to go. Is I think one of, if this is... Uh, I don't see this necessarily as an obstacle, but as an an opportunity to talk about the true eternal joy that we have in Christ, because the world is unhappy, which is why there's a pursuit of happiness in all things. We can play on the fact that everything that the world seeks to find happiness is will eventually lead to their misery or to to let them down. What about this concept that judging is the ultimate sin? And I, I have to say that when I'm working with younger people, this comes out very, very strongly the the whole idea of you can't say that you you can't say that something is wrong i think we need to turn around on them right at that moment and say what do you mean are you judging me right now not not to play games with them yep. but to get them to see that they're doing the very thing that they're condemning uh or judging me of i think that's actually really important because it, it digs at the root of their presuppositions wait a minute i'm doing the very thing that i'm telling you not to do mm-hmm. you might take them right back to the sermon on the mountain show that 
even in the context of that, Jesus is saying, don't cast your pearls before swine and don't give to the dogs what is <laughs> intended for others. You know, there is a judgment that is taking place there. You know, all, he talks about the broad and narrow way. That's a judgment. Uh, everything about that passage where they are lifting that, you know, we're not to judge others. Actually, what it really means is we ought to turn that condemning judgment on ourselves and realize who we are before we talk to others so that we actually do it not from a point of superiority, but from a point of identification that we are also sinners. Yeah. And I, I think um, Josh is correct. I mean, at the end of the day, we all make judgments based upon an authority, or at least what we deem to be an authority. So judgments are being made all the time. Yeah. And so I would love to be in a judgment-free world. What would that look like? It just wouldn't work. I think John Lennon's saying about that. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine. But it, it, it does beg the question, you know, do you really want what, what you're asking for and, and campaigning for and, yeah. and advocating? And I think the answer, if they're honest, is no. And then last, when God is the ultimate guest, evangelism is seen as silly, weird, annoying, and or a waste of time. How do, how do we get past this obstacle? I think the conscience, um, Spurgeon would say that, you know, the conscience is the preacher's best friend. I think appealing to what their heart is already condemning them about or approving their behavior about is really important. I've, multiple times I've said, you know what I'm saying is true. Because in your heart, you know that there really is wrongs, mm -hmm. and there really is right, and there really is good and true and beautiful. And I think just speaking directly, however that looks, but speaking directly to the heart and appealing to the, to, to the conscience within them is helpful to get past this kind of facade of silliness. Well, that's all we have time for today. We will see you next time.